You're listening to Connecting the Universe from Mike Ricksecker and ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Welcome, everybody, to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker back at you with another interactive class out of the secret library of the Connected Universe. Yes, we are back in the library this week. You got the glowy lights going on behind, got the maps, got the bookcase, all that. So, yeah, back on. <laughs> but uh, that probably will happen a couple more times uh, in, in the coming year, in which uh, I will have to uh do the class out of the satellite library the secret library of the connected universe so we have a uh a great show for you tonight uh well i don't know if great's really the word and because it's more concerning where we're going to be talking about the loss of some of our uh not even some like a lot of our ancient artifacts and this really came about because of an article that was uh you know, that I had posted for a morning mug here. Oh, what was it, a week and a half ago now? Something like that. So we're going to get into that here very, very shortly. But I want to let those know that are listening to the podcast version of this later, please join us every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time for the full Connecting the Universe experience on ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Yeah, I get it. Tonight's actually Thursday. And that's just the way that my schedule ended up with the traveling that I uh, did over the weekend. My mother's birthday was early this week. And so I just needed to push this off another day. But uh, for those uh, that are interested, there's a lot of great material there on the Connected Universe portal. Of course, you get uh, full access to this particular weekly class, which uh, there's an after show uh, every week as well that the members get access to. It's monthly Q&A videos, exclusive articles, sneak peek and behind the scenes videos, insider video, travel blogs, including ancient Egypt, American Southwest, Ireland, and more. All of this and more, connecteduniverseportal.com. And of course, please join us coming in April, April 16th to the 28th, Stargates of Ancient Egypt Tour. Yes, we will be going back. Uh, my Co-host for that, our, our tour guide, Mohammed Ibrahim of Saba Tours, which does mean Stargate, uh, and myself, a wonderful, wonderful 12-day tour where we will be discovering those ancient Stargates. And that is on that image there. I am actually inside one of the Stargates through a bigger gate that we've superimposed on top of it. So... Um, there are people in the house here. There's Tom McNicholas. Great to see you, Tom. There is Jen as well. Jason Thompson is here tonight. Great to see you, Jason. Crow Emil S. as well. Awesome, awesome. All right, let's go ahead and get into tonight's class question for the evening. And uh, some of you others have some things you want to throw down in there for it. Please feel free to do so. Sarah Yusuf is here as well. So let me bring up the class question. That is... If there was one ancient artifact or location you could bring back, which would it be? And uh, yeah, that is a artist interpretation of the Colossus of Rhodes there. One of the seven ancient wonders or one of the seven wonders of the ancient world that has been lost to time. Although that is not necessarily my answer. Although it would have been really, really cool to see. So Jen said, uh, the stuff we don't know even exists. Yeah, there's plenty of stuff uh has been lost a time that we still haven't even discovered even existed yet. So, you know, what was that stuff? Uh, I'm sure there's many, many fascinating uh, objects and artifacts and what have you that we just don't even have a clue has even existed in our world. 
Uh, Sarah Youssef and uh, Chris Nielsen, Chris off of the uh, Instagram account. Uh, he's actually one half of Traveler's Moons. Uh, both said the Library of Alexandria, uh, which would also be mine as well because of all the uh, knowledge that was lost when the Library of Alexandria was destroyed. Uh, massive, massive loss that we took there. And while you know there were some documents that were kept in the Serapium, which was you know really like a satellite library of the the Great Library, and then of course uh, the Egyptians had written in uh written uh texts or carved texts into the walls of many many of the temples like edfu and and things like that so we have some of that left but they're incomplete uh there's so much that we lost when library of alexandria was lost so all good there all right so what is it that got me into this topic this evening because um you know there has been a lot that has been lost over time I want to highlight some of these things. So, like I said, there was an article earlier last week that put me onto this. And so what I'm going to do, and I commented on it and I did the morning mug post on my social media. On the back end of the Connected Universe portal, there's the longer uh, morning mug videos that if you're a member, you can watch and, and what have you. So I'm going to go ahead and play I did post uh, like a one minute clip of this onto like TikTok and uh, Instagram, even on Facebook there. This is a little bit of a longer clip. This is more like a two minute clip to give you a little bit more uh, from that. But this is basically like a typical morning mug video. Welcome everybody to Mike's Morning Mug. I wanted to take a moment here to sound off about something that I posted on my social media just this morning, I'm not sure when you'll actually be watching this, but basically what happened was this individual, United States tourist in a museum in Israel, knocked over a bunch of ancient Roman statues saying that they were blasphemous. Now, I'm not gonna go into you know, this person's religion or what they claim their religion to be and why it was blasphemous in their eyes. But regardless of what your religion is, what your belief system is, all of that, you have absolutely no right to go into anywhere and start destroying things, start vandalizing ancient statues, ancient artwork, whatever it may be. If you don't agree with what that is, just walk away. You have zero right to actually go and destroy it. It's already a challenge enough within our archaeological community with as you know, many uh, things as I, as I have had to say about archaeology and the narrative that they are trying to uh, portray in some cases, not all, uh, that, uh, you know, many of those archaeologists got into the field because they had a passion for history. They had a passion for that mystery of what happened long, long ago. And so many of these artifacts are rare. Many don't exist anymore. We might find a story somewhere in a written text about a particular object that may have once existed and we don't have any physical reference to it anymore. So these objects are very, very rare. And so to go around and destroy something that is precious like that, you are destroying a piece of humanity. All right. And it goes on and I talk about some other examples and, and what have you, uh, some of which we are discussing this evening. But uh, again, here is the article in question, U.S. Tourist Destroys Blasphemous Roman Statues at the Israel Museum. And this was uh, what, a couple of days before all the conflict that's been going on over there. So this is separate from all that. This is not a result of, of the conflict or, or anything like that. This, this happened beforehand. Uh, but these are you know, ancient Roman artifacts. You know, Rome did, uh, you know, possess Israel for uh, quite a long time there. And so much of their uh, you know, influence found its way there in architecture, in 
statues and artwork and, and things of that nature. And, you know, this person just basically waltzed in there claiming it was blasphemous and destroyed it, uh, which is extremely unfortunate because, again, you know, we only have a handful of these types of artifacts that are left that are in at least somewhat good condition. Even with this, you can tell, okay, that's a head of a statue. That's all that's left is, is uh, the bust. So the entire statue is already missing. Why do we need to completely destroy it and just annihilate that piece of history? Uh, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. So I saw uh, Sarah is asking here, isn't the rise and fall of civilizations and their analogy part of a natural process of decay? Well, yes, that, that does happen. Civilizations do rise and fall. Uh, there are many lost civilizations upon this earth. And that's kind of the thing is there is so much that's lost to time that why blatantly go and help that process? You know, why destroy somebody's history and speed up that whole thing that, okay, now we, you look at today, we have so many different fields of, of science, archaeology, anthropology, um, even, even uh, astronomy, you know, they argue and, and debate over the way things worked in the past and who did what and who moved where and, you know, what year this was built, all that sort of stuff. And the reason being is because we only have really small, scant pieces of information to try to support this theory or that theory. So why aid in that process for future generations? Let's try to preserve as much as we can because there is so much that we've already lost to our history. Why keep repeating that cycle over and over again of you know, destroying history? Yes, yeah, some, some of it is going to be lost to time, but let's not help that process. Um, I, I, I would not agree with doing that. So, uh, other ways in which we have seen this here in recent years in this one, this one really totally blows my mind. Um, the conflict over, uh, the conflict over vandalizing art as a way to protest this is a New York times article, but we've seen this come about lately here too. You know, I don't want to get into the debate over climate change, but basically you have climate change activists that are doing things like in this particular case, uh, taking a can of soup, throwing it onto a precious piece of Van Gogh artwork, and then gluing themselves to the wall. I really don't care about them gluing themselves to the wall. You, I mean, that's... Uh, that's going to be extremely painful for them. They might take some paint off the wall. You can repaint the wall. Um, and they're going to find themselves in the hospital over that. But why do we have to destroy Van Gogh's work? And I, again, I don't even want to get into the debate over you know climate change and all that. Okay, they're trying to uh, say, hey, we should um, you know, we should do something about this. But okay, so pick something that's in relation to it. You know, precious ancient artwork has absolutely nothing to do with today's climate so you know you're you're destroying a a piece of again a piece of humanity when you do this is part of our rich heritage uh, coming down through the ages this is something we should actually have some respect for and just willy-nilly throw a can of soup at it because you want to take a political stance on something when this thing has absolutely nothing to do with whatever your politics are. Um, you know, that's to me, that's just disgraceful. You know, again, I have no problem with them, you know, gluing themselves somewhere. Um, still, I, I suppose some vandalism, they are gluing themselves to the wall there. Uh, but there are a lot of other ways in which to, you know, express your dissatisfaction with something rather than being destructive. And I just, I guess I don't understand, you know, why people get on that destructive bent that, you know, rather than working out whatever it is we're going to destroy. Cause it's like nothing to destroy it. 
absolutely nothing to destroy an object, a building, you know, really anything. But to actually create, that takes time, that takes passion, that takes vision. And, you know, when we go ahead and destroy those things, we've lost whoever made it. We lost their, we lost their vision. We lost their passion. Um, you know, I, I know so many people that you know, look at photos from the past and they're like, oh man, it would have been cool to see that in person. You know, we might walk up to a historic building somewhere and all the other buildings around it are, are modern. And it's like, oh man, I wish I would have seen this the way this was back in the day. Um, you know, so it's really a disservice to the rest of humankind when you start destroying those ancient relics that we just, we won't be able to get back. And yeah, Jen, I know it brought them attention. That's why there are other ways to get attention rather than destroy it. I mean, there are ones that were like gluing themselves to the road, you know, okay, fine. Glue yourself to the road, you know, um, whatever that will that will get you attention but why do we have to destroy the precious art that's what i don't get you could tie yourself to a tree you'll get yourself attention you could get your group together with some picket signs and protests you know outside whatever you know organization it is that will get you some attention you know destroying the artwork is to me the exact wrong attention because actually what it does it it's a disservice to your particular organization. Yeah, it's going to get your organization attention, but it's the wrong attention. Like, okay, it's, you know, we'll say it's, um, we'll just call them, uh, you know, climate enthusiasts. So, you know, you've destroyed this piece of artwork and now anytime that, okay, you're trying to, I don't know, do a fundraiser or something for your organization, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to give you the nasty look because, like, oh, it's those climate enthusiast guys. They, they destroy precious artwork. Screw them. I'm not going to help out their organization. It, it's, the, it's the wrong kind of attention. So, um, yeah, uh, young protesters, older protesters, be more respectful. I hope, eh. Depends on the person. You see some older people do uh, ridiculous things as well. Yep, so it's definitely sad to see. And then, um, and yeah, people do turn destructive out of frustration. Uh, people do uh, eventually take that turn sometimes, and it's but it's really unfortunate to see because there are other there are other methods. And then, of course, uh, some of the even more destructive ones are the um, Syria when uh, ISIS was, uh, it's all six World Heritage Sites there. This was, um, was it 2015? All six World Heritage Sites there were either severely damaged or completely destroyed. Just gone. Um, yeah, that's, that's ancient world history, just completely ob obliterated again over a religious ideology. So, you know, they're, they're citing their religious beliefs over this kind of like that, uh, tourist in, in Rome, but it's like, or at that tourist destroying the, the Roman, uh, artwork in, uh, the Israel museum. Um, and, and that one's just really hard to to swallow. Uh, again, you could just completely ignore it. Um, you know, but they were, yeah, a one in which they were trying to create pain and they certainly created pain. And so it's, you know, the point here is, you know, we see things like this going on. And so that's why when it comes to the history that we have left, we should do what, whatever we can to try to preserve it because sure, some of it is going to naturally decay and be lost to time. Others, and this is stuff that's been going on for millennia, others will be destroyed by fanatics. You know, the Great Sphinx, why it doesn't have a nose, was, um, you know, people say, well, I think Napoleon shot it off or whatever. No, it wasn't that. It was, it was already gone by then. It was 
uh, like a thousand years before that, were kind of the same thing. Um, it was a defacement. It was a, it was vandalism at that time by the um, oh shoot, I forgot his name, but you know, kind of the same thing. Um, you know, it was a it was an ideology, and we're going to take the nose off. Boom. So, and even you know, when we look when we go into a lot of those Egyptian temples, those that have gone on the Stargates of Ancient Tour uh, with us, you know, we see the defacement of a lot of those friezes. Now, on those, what they did, you don't see the entire form blotted out because there's a lot of that artwork around. They chiseled off the faces. And people say, well, why, why did they chisel the faces? And the idea there was that if you took off the face from the image, then that took away its power. And so this, again, was another fanatical ideology of, you know, defacing these things. And now, you know, thousands of years later, we can't see those things in their, their full glory because of some idiot, some doofus from a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years ago, whenever it was. And it just kind of makes you shake your head. And, you know, it's it's painful for the future generations that would like to have some semblance of being able to look at those images from the past. So those things that we still have with us, we should be doing what we can to to preserve them. So another interesting one, we're going to stay in that same area of the world here. And then we're going to, um, we're going to turn stateside here for a little bit. Um, it's a type of vandalism, but in a little bit of a different way in that uh, it was stolen. We've had Dr. Heather Lynn on uh, edge of the rabbit hole a few different times. It's been a few years. And um, we're going to bring her back here you know, sometime, eh, probably in the coming year or whatever. But um, she gave us some insight on this particular incident and also on, well, collectors, which we will talk about here in uh, just a little bit. But this is a little bit of a lengthier clip. She has a lot of wonderful information here. So, again, this is from... Uh, Honestly, almost four years ago from Edge of the Rabbit Hole. Yeah, kind of backing up a little bit, Heather, um, what you were saying about, you know, those that are, you know, that have that, have that power, that have the finances to go out there and search for these items. Um, aren't several of these people out there trying to collect these items because they believe it's going to give them some sort of power? I think there are some people with those motivations it may seem crazy but the nazis you know had, right. had an arm that did that thing too i mean this is something that i deal with a lot in my work are crazy people doing crazy things and a lot of people don't want to talk about that because i think they fear that they will seem crazy if they just simply talk about it or that they will appear to be agreeing with these things but you don't have to agree with it to recognize that it's happening so you have these elite people who are you know, you could argue, oh, maybe they know something we don't. Okay, fine. Um, or maybe they're just so at the top of life, you know, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They already have everything they need. So now they're just self-actualizing and they're just sort of out there. And, you know, what do they say? Like poor people who think differently are um, crazy and rich people who think differently are eccentric. So still, <laughs> it's a good so way to put it. Is, you know, so I mean, when, once you get to this particular level of, of, you know, nobody's telling you no anymore, why not? Maybe you are going out there looking for the spear of destiny still, thinking it's going to give you some sort of, you know, power. So I do think that there are people out there that are looking for particular artifacts to suit some sort of occult desire in them. Uh, and then, of course, there's just people doing it uh, for money. And this brings me back to the, the Iraqi museum looting. I mean, this yeah. was something that it was, it was amazing. It, 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 they had so many artifacts just stolen from them right in front of them. Just, and, and they weren't just a, it wasn't a smash and grab. This is something that when the people. They chose specific went, items, right? In, in absolutely. That looting? Yeah. 
Oh yeah, yeah, they did. They had and they had they had knowledge of of where specific items were then hidden. So the museum, uh, there were five staff members that were very committed to this museum, and they knew that you know this war was about to happen, and so they went through and they they went into the basement and they hid specific artifacts all into these different <clears throat> excuse me storage areas, and so they would lock those up and and you know and and so when when it was looted, some of these storage areas just remained locked. They were just, nobody had accessed them, while other ones, they had used keys to get in. And these other ones that they used the keys to get into, they were the ones that had the tablets and some different things like that. And so they definitely knew what they were looking for. And this isn't just somebody saying, oh, well, isn't that a coincidence? That's, you know, um, no, this, this was something that was found in uh in an investigation after the fact after the fact there there was a uh, a cap a, a colonel rather that uh his name was colonel matthew bogdanos he is currently the assistant district attorney in manhattan and he was a colonel in the united states marine corps reserves and uh in 2003, he was on active duty in the Marine Corps and led an investigation into the looting of this museum. And after looking at the evidence, he believed that this was premeditated and that the people had a clear understanding of what artifacts that they needed to take. And, and so something that was clear to him was that the artifacts that were taken were ones that it couldn't be sold on the black market even because they were so popular and important that someone would recognize that as you know, immediately. So what he concluded was that based on the evidence, these artifacts were had specifically been chosen because they already had a buyer or somebody waiting to receive them. So they it's it's they thought okay somebody somebody in an elite family, whoever, who had the money and who was a collector sort of made a grocery list and said, here, U.S. military, pick these up for me and, you know, we're, we're good. And then, so this isn't even a conspiracy anymore. This was actually, you know, a, a colonel's own findings and it's on, it's, he wrote a book about it and it's legitimately in the, um, you know, reports after the fact. So, I mean, and it goes on and on. I, I cover that in some of my work too, but yes, it was alluding and they took, um, Five. It was over five thousand Sumerian cylinder seals wow. gone. That's wow. insane. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's, that's that's so many. That's tragic. That's tragic right there. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, you know, who who got those? I mean, are they on the black market? No, they really determined that they couldn't be. Who who else would have them? Well, we can't put them in museums. I mean, some of them were returned. Uh, you know, so they were returned. Some of them, a few of them. But so many are just gone forever. Where did they go? They're definitely with collectors. I received emails from people. Um, one in particular was from Saudi Arabia. I'll never forget. I opened my email and it's this this guy who sent me these high resolution pictures, beautiful, large pictures of his living room. It was very palatial, a huge television and a sectional and, you know, all this. And then right in the middle of that, just average living room, but just, you know, on a very uh, extravagant scale he had a, a case a museum quality glass case and inside was one of the biggest most beautiful complete cylinder seals i had ever seen and he just sends me these pictures and i was like i'd like you to maybe can, can you via email sort of appraise this for me and maybe translate it you know <laughs> but wow. it was like sitting in the middle of his living room just like it's a hey check this out like great conversation starter I mean, yeah, it's actually some of those lost room. material. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have no way of knowing. So, you know, of course, the universities and people, once once the, the elites get their hands on it and their pick of it, what do we get? You know, the universities of the public, we're going to get little pot shards that are basically saying, oh, yeah, this guy traded his goats for this grain. Oh, isn't that fascinating? It tells us so much. And, you know, some of the better stuff is just gone mysteriously. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty crazy. The uh, the amount of looting that is done and how it, so much of this is actually in the hands of private collectors and and not us. And I see Sarah's there. I suppose in a way that makes Indiana Jones a bad guy. Uh, actually, Indiana Jones was always about let's get it in a museum. Let's get it in a museum. He was trying to protect it because of um, because of these other private collectors that 
wanted to get it out there on the black market, make a profit off of it. Um, a lot of these people believe that, um, you know, it was giving them some sort of power by just having it in, in their house. And so, um, you know, and then follow up question, you know, or actually this was the question beforehand. I think history should be preserved uh, very carefully. Uh, a lot of this stuff, yes, should be, should be in a museum somewhere. I mean, I like having the trinkets, you know, back here, you know, a couple little things. Um, none of that's actually, um, you know, like out of um, an Egyptian tomb or, you know, whatever those, those canopic church are, in a, in a way they're historic uh back there but that's just because the alabaster company that uh created them created them like 100 years ago um and they were creating them as replicas of uh, the canopic jars that the uh, dynastic egyptians used for uh you know the internal organs for the mummies and, and that sort of thing those, those are not those are not you know, thousand two thousand you know three thousand years old or what have you so um and sparky here uh, I'm an amateur sumeratologist, and this literally breaks my heart. Yeah, um, it is it is a real, real shame, uh, the amount of, of looting uh, and material that ends up on the black market out there. It's, it is really, really terrible. So, and in that vein, and this is what I usually, I usually pair these two things together. Um, you know, that was uh, Dr. Heather Lynn, and I've, I've talked about her, telling that story before and in some of her books she talks about that story as well but it's like i'm gonna go back and actually get the clip this time when she talks about that stuff um but this particular uh this is at the crypt in dindara we were in 2021 we were told we were the first public group uh allowed down there so everybody was just coming out of covid i guess they meant to open it in 2020 uh but then covid hit and everything shut down. And when things opened back up, um, we were one of the first in the bent pyramid because they were just starting to open that up when COVID hit and they shut everything down. But then the cryptid at Dendara, you know, kind of take it with a grain of salt. Oh, you're the first in there. Awesome. Is that really true? Yeah. But um, it had been closed to the public for like 20 or 25 years. Um, this is not the crypt with the light bulb quote unquote light bulb we've talked about uh, that several times before this is the newer one that they opened up it's on it when we say crypt it's not like this is a crypt in our modern day sense of this held bodies or anything it's not a necropolis it's not a tomb it's just it's a passage under the temple and so this is a little walkthrough of it and then we'll get to a couple of minutes this is like tomb raider like you're in Indiana Jones? Yeah, Indiana Jones. There you go. I had to watch Laura Croft. I was too old for that. You look at the, <laughs> the sides. Oh, not much look at the walls there. Not much All right. So you notice on the walls there, yeah, they, you could see some artwork, some friezes, and there are these large, large chunks that are just gone. And you're like, where did they go? What happened here? Because you go to the other one that has the light bulb, and the whole thing is like intact. Walk, you know, walk straight down there. Um, you know, probably a good ninety percent of that particular crypt is is good. But this newer one that they opened, it's, there's so much missing out of it. And it's like, okay, so, you know, it's been thousands of years. Stuff fell or whatever. You know, let's, let's take a look. So what you're seeing here is part of that wall. You can see some of the, um, some of the hieroglyphs there. But those chunks, I mean, those are not just chunks that fell out. You can see those those white marks there. Those are chisel marks. The blocks were removed. And then to give you some context of size, there's Jen. And you can see uh, next to her the large openings. So what happened here? 
Because those chisel marks, you go back and look again, those are relatively fresh. They're still pretty whitish. There's not much of a patina that has developed over those marks. So we got out of there the first time around. Pulled a couple of the guys off to the side. And it's like, what, what happened down there? Where, where did those blocks go? And basically what I was told was that, again, it was closed for like 20 or 25 years. Over those 20 or 25 years, some of those blocks were removed, auctioned off, and are now in the hands of private collectors. It's really, really sad state of affairs. And the idea here is that those particular blocks held valuable ancient wisdom and ancient knowledge that, again, people believe that by having these things, by having this ancient knowledge, that it makes them more powerful. Whether it's more powerful in their line of business, their place on earth, to live a longer life. You know, some of these people believe that if they have these different objects, they will live eternally or for hundreds of years. So that's what ended up happening uh, to most of those blocks down there. Yep, you're right. Angels Among Us, they carved it out. Absolutely. And yeah, the question is, you know, what are they hiding? What was that ancient knowledge? And, you know, we, this is a Stargates of Ancient Egypt tour that we're on here. So was it some of that knowledge? Was it some of the Atlantean knowledge, the crypt with the quote unquote light bulb? All of that has to do with creation. Um, it's, it's a, it's a creation story of, you know, how, we came into the world. And there's some different takes and variations on that. Um, you can check out one of our, um, and I'll, I'll link it here later. You can check out some of our uh, older videos and talks where Muhammad Ibrahim gives a uh, really you know, fascinating take on uh, that idea of creation with, with those freezes. Uh, you can even see ascension uh, within there with the Jed pillar and the Ka. And all that's really fascinating. So, um, you know, what was on the other ones that maybe gave us some additional knowledge into that? So Sarah's asking, could resonance be used as a type of radar? Um, well, you know, radar in a sense, I mean, that's a different type of uh, wavelength. So in a sense, radar does work like that because it emanates out, pings back, and you're getting a glimpse of what that is. So it's a, it is in a sense that already. Um, same with sonar. So kind of the, the same uh, kind of the same vein. Oh, and um, I guess I missed the, the question before that. Could these objects be tracked down through? resonance meditation um you know i'm sure like somebody like a remote viewer uh could probably tune into something like that and but it depends on the type of remote viewer that you use so you know you have some remote viewers that just kind of you know tune into like in an object and you know they get some ideas of you know where it came from and um you know, or where, you know, a particular person had gone to and that sort of thing. And then you have other remote viewers that are coordinate-based, coordinate, coordinate based, where you give them a set of coordinates and they tune in and they are able to, like, draw a picture of it. Um, so there may be ways like that to track it down, you know. Um, but I don't think you're going to, um, I don't know, you know, have some sort of almost like an EMF and be like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll see what, you know, what, what EMF is coming off that block down in that crypt and then walk around the globe looking for it. <laughs> Are they going to be like that? So, all right. Uh, moving on here a little bit. I do want to come stateside here. Okay. Um, because we have, we have ancient sites here. Okay. 
Um, recently here in Ohio, the mounds and earthworks here in Ohio were added to the UNESCO World Heritage List. Ohio, yeah, go figure that. So uh, Great Circle Earthworks, which I've been to a couple of times now, is one of those, and these are not great. Okay, there we go. There's a better aerial shot that I grabbed from somebody else. Um, this is a part of a much, much bigger complex. And it's, you know, it's astronomically aligned. The uh, the circle, there's an octagon uh, off of it. The octagon and other pieces of it are actually part of a golf course, which is kind of a, a painful part of it. But aside from that, um, so many other of like the mounds and things like that throughout the Midwest were plowed under for farmland. So it's estimated that up to 80% of the mounds and earthworks uh, throughout the United States and, and again, possibly more, um, you know, were completely dug up, tore up and became farmland or some other, uh, some other use. So with this particular one, uh, um, I don't show the golf course here, but a large, large section of it is a golf course. This here was used as the town's fairgrounds for a long period of time. That's how actually huge, massive it is. But now things are being done to um, to better preserve it. But a lot has been lost. So as a, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a special treat, but I have a, uh, a video here from, uh, it was early 2016, where it was the first time I had gone. And I couldn't find the original raw footage, so it's a... Um, I clipped it out of the video of the original, um, what I had posted on YouTube. And so it's a little sketchy in some places, but uh, here is uh, my first foray to the Great Circle. Good morning. Um, well, welcome again. <laughs> well, behind me is one of the... Uh, Walls of the Great Earthworks Circle, the uh, the Newark Earthworks here, and you know, on camera, and you know, I've seen a bunch of pictures online and all that. The uh, the camera just doesn't do it justice. It's it's really a lot taller than it looks, and I've tried to get this uh, tree behind me, um, just to kind of give you an idea, but I still don't think it does it justice. It's actually um, pretty impressive. I, I you know was just thinking it was going to be like a little you know, mound, but it's actually pretty dang tall. Um, seriously, um, I'll find out, you know, some more information about exactly how tall it is, but that's gotta be at least 15 feet tall. Seriously, um, it, it's pretty big, but basically this was uh, uh, built by the, the Hopewell civilization, which is ancient America. You know, we're talking, you know, pre-Native Americans, you know, this is like the original Native Americans. Um, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, theories out there about, you know, maybe there were giants and things like that. Um, and I'm not saying that they weren't, you know, we really don't know because there's not really any um, uh, archaeological evidence as to who specifically uh, they were, except that they were a very ancient people and, you know, they built these structures. And there's a lot of mounds around the area too. Um, you know, they aren't touched anymore, but there's, you know, um, those that did dig them up early on and desecrated a lot of them you know there was a you know a movement in the 1800s to go around and destroy any what they call pre-columbian um archaeology you know basically though those people back then believed that you know all archaeology in america was after columbus had discovered it and thereby destroyed a lot of the you know ancient um our archaeology that was out here um, so there's artifacts from those mounds or maybe from those mounds that um, you know the scientific community archaeology community don't accept as necessarily being real and um, so there's a lot of controversy that surrounds ancient America but uh, we're gonna head inside there's a visitor center here and then we'll walk around and um, see what we can discover okay so I'm standing at the uh, entranceway to the Great Circle Earthworks. 
uh, which is very, very cool. Um, the culture here um, flourished about 100 to 500 AD, and I'm gonna try to back up. It's really hard, I don't know, the camera just doesn't pick it up very well, but that that trench behind me, that is, and then there's a dog back there. <laughs> That's actually a pretty significantly deep trench. Um, that probably goes a good 10 feet down, and you just can't tell with the video, and I'm trying to give you an idea there's the trees behind me, but it just doesn't do it justice. It is actually pretty dang significant. So it goes, that that probably goes about 10 feet down and then the mound itself, if I tilt that up, um, probably goes um, 20, 25 feet. Maybe it's, it's big. It is actually really, really big. There's some smaller mounds out that way on the other side of the visitor center, but um, that's actually pretty significant. And you got the same thing back there behind me so basically the uh, great circle these days is used as a park back in the, in the day you know it was believed to be used for for ceremonial work but today it's park so you know there's kids out there running around people with their dogs um, you know running around all over the place um, you know a few so it you know this is a, um, a section here a little bridge now this is pretty cool check this out this tree now I'm losing pieces of video because my memory card is getting full, so I was just on top of the wall and did, tried to give you a little contrast, and I lost that video. Okay, I'm on top of one of the uh, small mounds in the middle here, and I'll just do a panoramic, make you get dizzy. <laughs> it always does whenever I watch these, but um, uh, you can kind of see one of the other smaller mounds behind me. But uh, basically, what's kind of interesting. Um, about this area is that the this this circle is only one piece of the entire earthworks around here the entire complex actually takes up a big area and most of it um, a golf course is on top of right now so you can access it by going to the golf course and walking around and seeing uh, the octagon is out there and a lot of the connecting uh, parts of the earthworks um, is out there and so this is the this is the part that's preserved as a park and then um, you know the rest of it you basically would have to go to the golf course which is um, kind of interesting but uh, you know it was all again believed to be part of a uh, you know a, a ceremonial uh, complex and it's really really quite uh, quite interesting it's very quiet out here um, even though it's in the middle of a town and so, um, yeah, this is you know fantastic. Take a little side trip out here and um, check out one of the ancient wonders of America. All right, seven and a half years ago, it's kind of crazy. And yeah, I I think I said um about a thousand times in that video. <sighs> Any case, what's uh, there's a lot of things fascinating about that structure. And I already mentioned a couple of them. Mentioned some of them in the video. It is, again, it's astronomically aligned. It is also aligned to, there's another set of earthworks down in Chillicothe, which is about 60 miles away. And they are perfectly aligned to each other. So this culture somehow connected these two sites. So you got to think about this. This is, you know, ancient America. 60 miles today, it takes... It, Takes you about an hour to drive from Newark to Chillicothe, maybe a little bit of traffic or whatever, maybe a little over an hour, right? Uh, yeah, back then, that would have taken me a couple of days to make that trek. And to get everything perfectly aligned is, is really, really impressive. And then there's the Serpent Mound there north of, of Cincinnati. So you have a lot of these fascinating mound sites there within Ohio that are all, again, very, very much aligned to the stars. So Angels Among Us asking, did it feel a bit eerie there? I'd love to visit places like that. I wouldn't say eerie, but you could feel an energy that was there. Uh, it was, I've been there twice. It was kind of strangely quiet for there being, there's a lot of traffic. There's a, there's a main road that drives right by it. There's there's houses and businesses and all that sort of stuff around it as well, but you really couldn't hear that. And it's probably due to the size of it. It is really, really huge, and you couldn't really get that scope uh, within that video footage. What is interesting is 
the mound right in the very, very center. We call it Eagle Mound because it resembles an eagle. We don't know what the ancients used it for or called it. We call them the Hopewell culture just because the individual who basically discovered them, his last name was Hopewell. We really have no idea who they were, what they called themselves, anything like that. You know, we're going off of some of the scant artifacts that have been discovered. We really don't know what their true purpose for building this was and what they would have used the different mounds. So the mound right in the middle is called uh, Eagle Mound. That's what we call it. And that's from the aerial uh, photo here. And I had taken, I was trying to do some video work and you know get the whole, uh, the whole circle and everything. And this is basically straight up from Eagle Mound. Now, this was a fully charged drone when I put it up into the air. Like literally, just before coming here, I had been charging it in a hotel room. Put it up into the air. My drone is supposed to get about 20 minutes of battery life. And this was when it was newer. And that's essentially what I was getting out of it. It was up there for about two minutes and started screaming that the battery was dying and I better land it or, you know, it's, it'll, you can set it to automatically land when the battery starts to get low or you can turn that off and just watch the thing crash out of the sky. So of course I had it return, but it's one of those that, again, like I said, you could feel palpable energy there and, um, it's kind of interesting. I had R.A. Marzulli on the show a couple of years ago. Uh, Victoria and I were interviewing him, and somehow we ended up getting on the topic of the Great Circle earthquakes. And we were, we were talking about different sites around America. And I started talking about this story with the drone, and automatically it was like, your battery died, didn't it? <laughs> it sure did. It sure did. So, Something about the energy of that area, you know, can can sap your electronic batteries. So I definitely highly encourage going to check it out. That that particular one is is Newark, Ohio. So it's right outside of Columbus, that area. Let's see what other questions and comments uh, you might have here. Uh, did you do a paranormal investigation there? No, I haven't done a paranormal investigation there. Um, you know, I walked around with uh, the drone. I, uh, both times that I was there, it was, I had other plans. So the first time I was driving through, I actually had some paranormal investigations that I was working on with a team out in Indiana, but I wanted to hit this on my way through. And the second time I had an investigation there at the old Licking County Jail, which is right there in Newark. So again, it was like, I'm right there. I'm going to go visit the the circle again so my time was was kind of limited both times so I, I did not do a investigation there it would be a very cool place uh to do one it's a but again it's it's a it's a public venue so uh, you know it has what closes at dusk so you're kind of limited as far as what you would actually be able to do there but even though it's public there's not a ton of people, at least the two times that I went, there weren't a ton of people there. So you could probably find a, a quiet little corner and do some some of that type of investigative work there. And then Angels Among Us, what are frequencies emitting from the mounds that killed the battery? Likely. Uh, and that's that's what I believe, that there's you know something, there's a reason why they built it there. And there's a reason why the ancients did that all over the world, why they picked different locations to build these mounds, why they picked locations to, uh, you know, build the stone circles, the pyramids, things like that. Uh, spiral mounds out there in Oklahoma. I have another, uh, this was a live video that we had done. And what was interesting, we were on top of one of the mounds, not a burial mound. Uh, it was, there was a burial mound far off to the side that had been desecrated back in the 1930s, but you know, you're not allowed to go up on that one. This one, Again, kind of in the middle of the complex, and we know that there was a, a temple that had been on top of its uh, brown mound. And, you know, since we were kind of out there, 
you know, I'm going live, I don't have a strong signal the whole time I'm walking through the area, but it's signal enough, I'm able to go live. And again, when it comes to that sort of thing, uh, you know, your data connection, your line of sight to the tower is kind of important. Well, being on top of the mound, you would have a uh, better chance of getting a good signal, a good line of sight to the tower, right? On top of that mound at Spiral Mounds, that connection kept cutting out like crazy. It was just nuts. And then you walk back down off the mound, signals back up. Went out into the wooded area and everything where, you know, you got these dense trees and signals perfectly fine. Go back up on the mound, signal is gone. So we did some work up there, some, uh, you know, some EMF work. Uh, had a uh, pendulum up there. The pendulum was going crazy. So, yeah, there was something to And so, you know, again, this is why they would have built their temple there. This was an energetic location that you know, they could sense it. And they built their temple right on top of there to be able to harness that energy and be able to use it for their uh, different rituals that they would perform, healing practices, entering to alter states of consciousness, all these different things. And again, that's why pyramids, temples, stone circles, they're all built on top of these highly energetic areas. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, uh, they were on the cell service before we were. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or a reverse cell service because the cell service was not working on top of that mound. Um, and hey, there is Jack McCarthy, co-worker right there. Uh, great to see you tonight, Jack. So that is going to wrap it up for the public side here of uh, preserving our history or don't destroy history. And like Sarah here, uh, you know, document, document, document. And yeah, you might want to hide the documentation somewhere too, because um, you know, you look at something like um, go back, going back to Egypt again, Akhenaten. They attempted to erase him from history. We only know Akhenaten ever existed because some years back, doing some repair work on some of the columns there in Egypt and discovered that the fill for some of these columns was actually these, you know, old friezes that you put stuff together. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, here's a king that we never knew about before. And you go to the uh, the king's list at, in Abydos is like one of the, the largest king's list that we have for Egypt in the world. There's, there's a little bit of a longer one on papyrus, but this one on the wall, I think it's the largest one that we have in a temple. And you don't have Akhenaten there. You don't have Tutankhamun on there either. It's like, you know, all these you know, number of different kings that were basically stricken from the record. Um, and even that papyrus I mentioned uh, also uh, stricken from the record there. So there were, there were different people along the way that they tried to erase from history. And so it's through other means that we've been able to uh, you know, discover who some of these were. So yeah, even, even when you document, make some copies. <laughs> so, all right, this is going to wrap it up on the public side here. Really appreciate everybody uh, joining us tonight. I'm always an advocate for uh, preserving history. Take the knowledge that you've gained, pass it on to the next generation. I think it's one of the, the biggest things that uh, we have to do here. One is love each other, love each other, take care of one another. And the other is the knowledge that you have gained, pass it on to the next generation. You know, don't just, you know, retain yourself and sit on it here. There is so much more that we can do to try to help progress the world forward rather than making the same mistakes over and over and over again. The only thing, the only way that we can do that is, you know, sure, we learn from our mistakes, but let the next generation know about that stuff too. And you know, these, these ancient peoples that are being lost to time, let's forward that information forward too so they're no longer lost to time. 
And uh, yeah, Sam, Sam Blue, great to see you tonight. Jack, it's one of the reasons we're fans of books. We can preserve them longer and better just in case. Absolutely. Yeah, hang on to those books. Write some stuff in stone. <laughs> Learn some cuneiform, do some clay tablets. I've actually seriously considered that. So, all right. I'm going to sign off here. Those that are members of the Connected Universe Portal, we will see you for the after show here in just a moment for the rest of you. Till next time, time really exists.